Well, hey there, everyone. I'm Daniel Hahn, and I'm the online campus pastor here at Oxford Assembly of God Church, and this is our podcast. And I just want to thank you for listening today. We hope the message you're about to hear inspires you, builds your faith, and helps you see that God has a purpose for your life. And now, let's get into the message. How many were raised in a Pentecostal church? Okay, I'd say maybe, maybe a fourth of us. You're probably going to hear some things this morning. If you're like me, you say, I never thought of that. But now some of you are smarter than I am. I give you that credit. You might have known it. Jeannie might come up to me and say, well, Pastor, I learned that a long time ago. You should have known it. But my wife tells me that all the time. You "You should have known that. But a few weeks ago, we attended a conference in Lakeland, and all of it blessed me, but one class blessed me immensely. And it was taught by my friend and fellow presbyter, Brent Simpson. And I asked him, I went up to him after and said, Brother Brent, do you mind if I go and preach that the way it's supposed to be preached? <laughs> I did. I, I, asked, I asked him that. And he said, certainly go right ahead. And he even gave me his notes. But I want to tell you that this comes from a lot of his research. And he did an awesome job, and I know I cannot share it the way he did. But if I understood it correctly, this came from his doctoral theses. So we're talking about hours and hours of work went into this message and this concept. And You say, well, you had that message and you had nothing to do this week but go through a storm. <laughs> this, this message probably took more time than if I'd have started from scratch. Because I wanted to validate a lot of what he said. Now, I trust him. But see, some of the things he shared is based on Jewish tradition. How many knows that I don't know much about Jewish tradition? And things in the Talmud. I don't know much about the Talmud. So some I've had to take for truth resulting from his research. But let me tell you that if it, what I share with you this morning, does not line up with your biblical theology. Now notice I said biblical theology. I'm not talking about what your grandma taught you or what you taught yourself. But if it doesn't line up with the word of God, you know what you need to do with it? throw it out because it says in the scripture that even if an angel tells you something different and I don't quite qualify that my wife does think I'm a 13th disciple but you know <laughs> just kidding just kidding but I, I looked at it and did a lot of research because it talks about one of the elements talks about when Moses was up on the mountain getting the Ten Commandments did you know Moses records that three separate times? Three times in the book of Exodus, he shares the same basic story with a little bit of reflection and a little bit different angle. He even shares the Ten Commandments again in Deuteronomy. But in Exodus, in Exodus 19, Exodus 24, and Exodus 32, he shares about the mountaintop experience. And trying to get that all brought down into one simple story. How many knows that if you were on the mountain cup with God for 10 days, 
you could tell a lot of stories. One of the scriptures says he was 40 days. Now, does that mean 40 days on every one of his trips? Because we know he went at least twice, right? Because he went up, came back down, and then went back up. So we know he was there at least twice. So I'm not sure about the concept. But I want to ask you just to allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you as he did to me. And for all of you that, raised, that was raised in Pentecost, if you disagree with me, just keep your mouth shut. <laughs> First service, nobody must agree with me because they all kept their mouth shut. <laughs> but possibly, if you said, Pastor, that's, that's good. I like that. I don't mind you saying amen. Because I want to tell you this, this is some things that I wish that I would have heard when I was a kid. Because it's, it's that good. What is the origin of Pentecost? How many think it's important to know the origin? To know, I mean, the, we all know that statement that if you ignore history and don't and fail to learn from it, it will be repeat itself. But in these days, you know, Ancestry.com's making a lot of money. DNA testing is doing a lot of money. I, I, Robbie gave me a, a family tree thing for Christmas a few years ago, and I'm going to be honest with you, I was a little bit scared. I was afraid my tree wouldn't fork. I didn't know anything about it. And, and, and I have to say, I was pleasantly surprised with my ancestry. I, I won't go there. I'm not sure I believed it anyway. But uh, it's good to know the background. So if we ask the question, when was the first Pentecost? Most of us would probably say in the upper room. How many knows that was the birthday of the church? Some people may not know that, and they say, well, it goes back to Azusa Street. But when was the first Pentecost? Well, historically, we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God gave it the same time as he gave the Passover. And the word pente means 50 days after Passover. So the first Pentecost was 50 days, what? After Passover. The very name signifies 50 days after Passover. Now we know the story, and we sing it when I see the blood, I'll what? Pass over you. All of our churches can talk about the Passover because that's what the Christian religion is built upon, the death of the Lord Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Because without the shedding of blood, there can be what? No remission of sins. But in the very beginning, he says 50 days later, there's going to be a Passover, or excuse me, a Pentecost. Now, another name for Pentecost is the Feast of Weeks. And it was the first week, the study, I mean, the first week of wheat harvest. That's the beginning of harvest. Now, we need to remember that. But we also need to remember this, if you get nothing else, I won't say it slow this first time because some of you think slow. No, no, you don't. I've said this wrong about four times in the first service. The Passover must precede Pentecost. 
death precedes Pentecost. Because without the death, you could not have Pentecost. The first, Pente- the first Passover, to go to Lamb. The, Penteco- the Passover that we celebrate, Jesus was the Passover Lamb. Before the disciples received the Holy Spirit, I believe you'd have to agree with me, they had to die to self. Something happened from the time they were in the garden and all ran to the time they were in the upper room. So death always precedes Pentecost. And I've already mentioned that some of my message today has information from the Talmud and the Jewish tradition. I also mentioned that Moses records the story of him receiving. Moses wrote the first five books. And he writes in Exodus three different times, tells about that incident. So it's hard for me to get a handle on exactly the time frame. The nearest we can get to it is in Exodus chapter 19. Only time it mentions a time. On the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. Now some translations say on the first day of the third month. Because the Jews always worked by what? A lunar calendar. All Jewish months have 28 days, the cycle of the moon. That's the reason they have to add a month every now and then because of the different days. Because how many knows that the year does not end exactly on a monthly basis. So it says the third month. So basically it was saying on the first day of the third month. Now Passover, we know, takes place on the 14th day. 14th day. You can research that of the beginning of the year. The 14th day. So if another 28 days had passed, that means we're right at 42 days, right? I mean, that's my math. That's the closest that I can come to any kind of guideline of a day. But according to Jewish tradition, and according to the Talmud, Moses went on the mountain and the giving of the Ten Commandments was on the first day of Pentecost, 50 days after. 50 days after the first Passover. Again, I wasn't able to translate all that. Wasn't able to verify it all because I don't know about Jewish traditions. But it's kind of interesting, according to Jewish tradition, that Moses led the people of Israel out of Egypt for 40 days. Then he went on the mountain for 10 days out of their sight. When Jesus was resurrected, how long did he hang around the people? 40 days. And he went up on the mountain 
and was translated. And then 10 days later, they were in the upper room and the Holy Spirit came upon them. The Holy Spirit came upon them. Now, whether we can make those numbers jive or not, that's not the gist of my message. I think we'll all agree that the first one was the birth of a nation. The nation of Israel was brought out of Egypt. The establishment of the Jewish nation. The second one, or the Pentecost in the New Testament, was the birth of the church, or Christianity. Both events happened to newly redeemed people. Now that, that's kind of exciting to me. Newly redeemed people. The, the Jews were slaves. How many things they probably shouted a lot to start with? Now they started murmuring and complaining because they were assembly God folks. It didn't take them long. <laughs> but start with, they were excited because they were what? They were redeemed. They were excited up until the time they got to the river and they said, we might as well go back to Jerusalem. We're dead. Or go back to Israel. Egypt. I'll get it right in a minute. But they were redeemed people. The redeemed people. Now, what is another name for Pentecost? It's the Feast of Weeks, which marks the first week of the wheat harvest. The beginning of the wheat harvest. That's according to their agricultural calendar. Normally speaking, it falls at the beginning of the wheat harvest. And the disciples said when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they gathered in the upper room. Now, I know one thing I read says that that upper room is located upon near the mountain, near where Moses would have received the Ten Commandments. I don't know if that's true or not. But either way, they were gathered in the upper room. Moses was on Mount Sinai, and the people had gathered at the bottom. Now, let's look at Exodus chapter 19, verse 16. I haven't heard any omis or amens yet, so hopefully it'll get better. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like a smoke of a kiln and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke and God answered him in thunder. And the Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain. And the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain. And Moses went up. He called him and he went up. And then at Mount Sinai, while Moses was receiving the Ten Commandments, what was going down at the bottom? They were in total, what? Rebellion. They were in total rebellion. And the day of Pentecost, what did it say about the people up in the upper room? They were in total unity. They were in one accord. They were in one accord. 
I know somebody's saying, what's, what's that mean? Okay. But let's, let's look at Exodus now in, in chapter 32. Exodus chapter 32. Begin reading verse 25. And when Moses saw that the people had broken loose or been in rebellion, for Aaron had let them break loose to the derision of their enemies, then Moses stood at the gate of the camp and said, Who is the on the Lord's side? Come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered around him, and he said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Put your sword on your side, each of you, and go to and fro from the gate to gate throughout the camp, and each of you kills his brother and his companion and his neighbor. And the sons of Levi did according to the word of Moses, and that day about 3,000 men of the people fell. In other words, those that were in rebellion, 3,000 died. I know some of you are getting ahead of me, but what does it say over in the book of Acts, chapter 2, verse 41? So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Those that were in rebellion, 3,000 died. Those that were in unity and those that heard the word, they were redeemed. Life and death. Now, I think everybody here understands the Passover, the death of the Passover lamb. But we often forget about Pentecost. Many churches, Christian churches, ignore Pentecost totally, other than on the day of Pentecost, Pentecost Sunday. But Passover was meant to lead to Pentecost, the harvest. Let me say that again. Pentecost, our Passover, was meant to lead to Pentecost, which means the harvest. Not just to enjoy the presence and power of God, but to roll up our sleeves and get to work. Isn't that what God told the disciples, Jesus told the disciples? He said, I want you to be tarry in Jerusalem until you may do with the power so that you can shout and speak in tongues and have a good time. No. no. Now, those things are fine. I'm not opposed to those at all. But the issue was, he said, I want you to stay until you have the power so that you can become witnesses. Now, you can go check this out. Look up the word witnesses in the Greek. In that text, you know what the original word is? Martyr. You'll have power to become a martyr. And I know some say, well, I don't want to become that. But did you know every one of the disciples but, but John became a martyr? And they tried to martyr him. He said, I want to give you power to become witnesses. I want to give you power to become workers in my harvest. And I wish that I could tell you that as soon as the day of Pentecost was over, they all went preaching and they all went left, but they didn't leave. They got comfortable in Jerusalem. So a guy by the name of Paul became persecutor. And he literally drove them out of Jerusalem. When God said, I want you to stay here until you get your power. Then I want you to roll up your sleeves and get to work. How many of you grew up on a farm? Any of you grew up on a farm? Now, I don't know what your dad was or your whoever uh, run your household or run your farm. 
But I can imagine if my dad came in and said, okay, boys, it's time to get the hay in. And I said, oh, hey, let's have a party first. Let's celebrate first because it's harvest time. Let's celebrate for a week. He just celebrated all right. That's kind of like the disciples did. Now, now think about it. Think about it. Passover was meant to lead to Pentecost. It's interesting to note in the Old Testament, not only did 3,000 die, but the people were told not to come near the mountain, to stay away from the fire because they couldn't handle it. But on the day of Pentecost in the New Testament, the fire came to the people. Now, now this next point is amazing to me. God was sending a new cutabout, K-E-T. I might make sure I spell it. My opinion of spelling is that it's a very narrow-minded person that can spell a word only one way. Okay, so let me make sure I spell it right. K-E-T-U-B-A-H. God was sending a new kataba to Israel. Now, you may be like me. I said, what in the world is a kataba? And you can Google it. It's a word that did not come about until just a, a couple hundred years before Christ. But what it is, it's, it's a Jewish marriage contract between the bride and the groom. How many of you know when you look up something on Google that you get all kinds of ads? I could have bought a whole bunch of katabas this week. Because they, they, they still have them. It's a Jewish contract between the bride and the groom. Telling what's expected. And you can buy them. Go online, you can buy them. You can buy a bunch of them. But it's, that's what it is. It's a marriage contract. The Jews consider the Ten Commandments as a kataba, As a marriage contract between them and God. The Ten Commandments was God's proposal to the Jewish people. Now you say, that sounds weird. What says, you shall have no other husband but me? How many thinks that sounds legit? You shall have no other graven enemies. That means you get rid of your old boyfriend's pictures. <laughs> now you say, that wouldn't be... The Jewish Ketamah, that's what it is. And the Jews, according to Jewish tradition and the Talmud, they consider the Ten Commandments a marriage contract between them and God. So up on the mountain, God was giving them a proposal. So when Moses came down, he said, are you going to accept it or not? And they all did what? They, yeah, we'll take it. We want to be God's bride. We want to be his. We'll serve him forever. 
But how many knows they didn't live up to the contract? You see, now we often see the Ten Commandments as a list of do's and don'ts. But they look at the Ten Commandments as a love letter from God to them. You shall have no other God before me. Now let's look at Exodus chapter 20. Y'all bear with me, it gets better. Exodus chapter 20, verse 18. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln and the whole mountain trembled greatly and the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder and God spoke and God answered in the trumpet. That's 19. Let me go to 18. I just seen if y'all were following me. Chapter 20, verse 18. Now when all the people saw the thunder. How many knows you see thunder? They saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. The people were afraid and trembled and they stood far off. That's very similar to the verse we read. But guess what? If you look up that word, and I did, look up the word thunder. And you know what the thunder in the Hebrew is? Jenny, you know what thunder in Hebrew is? Voices or languages. The voices or languages that they heard. And according to Jewish tradition, the Talmud render teaches that God proposed to the Jews that day in 70,000 languages. What does it say? Well, what do you say in a marriage proposal? Will you be my bride? Will you be mine? Now, you say, I don't know if I agree with that, but think about it. What did God accuse the nation of Israel of doing? From that time on, you see some same words coming out of God's word. You're prostituting yourselves. You're committing whoredom. Where did all that come from? Because God said, you're my bride. The book of Hosea speaks of their unfaithfulness to the marriage vows. Now, let me just ask you this. What does the church, what does Christ call the church? He said, you're my bride. You're my bride. And I know somebody said, well, fire fell down and voices. But that's Old Testament. What does it say in the New Testament? You can quote that. Many of you can. When the day of Pentecost arrived. They were all together in one place and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind and it filled the entire house where they were sitting and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. You say, well, God gave the nation of Israel a proposal. He invited them to accept him. Well, what about John chapter 14, verse 26? But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring things to your remembrance, all that I have said unto you. He said, the Holy Spirit will remind you of everything that I've said. Now, what was the difference between the old and the new? 
Let's go to the Old Testament. Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 1. At that time, declares the Lord, I will be the God of all the clans of of Israel, and they shall be my people. Let me say that again. He said, I've got the Israel. But then drop down to verse 31. Verse 31, where it says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant or new marriage vow with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, know the Lord. For they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. How many knows that was written to the church? That was written to us. That was written to the new bride of Christ. He says, I won't just cover their sins. I will remember their sin no more. Wow. Then Isaiah chapter 2 verse 3. And many people shall come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the Lord God of Jacob, that he may teach us his way, that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Israel. Now we need to remember something, that what was Passover? Passover was intended to bring us to Pentecost, preceded the death always preceded Pentecost. Before the day of Pentecost in the New Testament, God was found in the Word. But after Pentecost, the Holy Spirit is now illuminating the Word. In the Old Testament, the people feared God. They wanted Moses to speak for them. They didn't want anything to do with it. They wanted Moses to handle it. Let's look what it says in chapter 23, verse 32. You shall make no covenant with them and their gods. They shall not dwell in your land lest they make you sin against me. For if you serve their gods, it will surely be a snare to you. Then going on to the next chapter, then he said to Moses, come unto the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel, and worship from afar. Moses alone shall come alone to near, the, near to the Lord, but the others shall not come near, and the people shall not come up with him. Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the rules, and all the people answered with one voice and said, all the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. In other words, we accept the marriage contract. We're in agreement. We will have no other gods for me. How many know they broke that in a hurry? A marriage covenant. Marriage covenant for God. The people feared God and they wanted Moses to speak for them. In the New Testament, when God spoke, the people spoke back. I said, when God spoke, the people spoke back. At Mount Sinai, they stepped away. But in the upper room, they stepped forward. See, Pentecost brought a new intimacy. The church would be 
the bride of Christ. And this is what I wished I'd learned a long time ago. What is tongues all about? Tongues is your love language that only you and your spouse can understand. It's a prayer language between you and the groom. When we backslide, we go back towards Passover. And as the New Testament says, we have a form of godliness, but deny the power thereof. The book of Acts is to the New Testament what the book of Genesis is to the Old. Genesis, the Holy Spirit was hovering over the earth. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was out form, without form and void. You know what that literal translation is? The world was in chaos. Out of that chaotic state, God spoke and created the universe. In the New Testament, I mean, realizes that the, the disciples were in chaos. They needed direction. They needed guidance. They needed power. And I know somebody said, well, pastor, chaos is a little bit strong word. Well, do you know, what was the last thing that's recorded in the book of Acts before the day of Pentecost? Peter, standing up and said, we lost one of our disciples. We got to replace him. Where's the dice? They cast lots. How many thinks that Peter probably got ahead of God there? I mean, we never heard those, the guy that was supposed to replace Judas named again. They had no guidance. And so out of that chaos, God spoke and God sent his power. He sent his spirit. Just like in the Genesis that let us make man. He said, let's create something. Now, you say, I don't know about that. But what, let me remind you. See, throughout the book of Acts, we see words like the spirit moved. The spirit spoke. The spirit called things to order. You say, I don't know about that. What's it say? Let there be apostles. Let there be pastors and prophets, teachers, deacons, care for the orphans. All those things came from where? The Holy Spirit. Gave them direction. And just like Jesus says, the Spirit only speaks what the Father is saying. Let's look at John chapter 16, verse 7. Now they know that everything that you have given me. Oh, excuse me. That's 17, 16, verse 7. How fine it. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. And I think I goofed up a while ago. 
tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because they go to the Father. And you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority. Remember I said in the very beginning, if I'm saying something that disagrees with the word of God, you do not listen to it. Jesus said the same thing. He said, I'm not speaking about what I'm saying. I speak only what God tells me to say. He said, the spirit will only speak of that. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he Hears, he will speak. Where's he hear from? Here's from God the Father. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Wow. I know some of you say, Pastor, I don't know if I agree with all that. It's a lot of different thoughts in my theology. I totally understand. I've done a lot of chewing on this last few weeks. And so I'm not expecting you to grab it any quicker than I did. Most of you are smarter, so you can get it a little bit quicker. But make me feel good and tell you I don't quite understand it. But think about it. Moses definitely went up on the mountain. Definitely near the day of Pentecost. Fire came down from heaven, and the voices rang out. We know that. Totally in line with the scripture. Whether it was on the exact day of Pentecost, we can argue it. But how many knows that God's word is always true? See, Jesus fulfilled all the feast up to Pentecost. The Holy Spirit fulfilled the feast of Pentecost. The next feast, the feast that has not been fulfilled yet is what? The feast of trumpets. The Holy Spirit led us up to the weeks of harvest to say it's roll up your sleeves because you got work to do because sooner or later there's going to be another trumpet sound. And just as surely as there was a Passover, just as surely as there was a Pentecost, there will be a rapture of the church. Now, some people get, get confused. And I, I admit there's probably a lot of it is for us preachers uh, blame because a lot of times we refer to the second coming of Christ and we're speaking of the rapture, and we're speaking of the rapture, and we talk about second, and you know, we, we entertain. There's two different events. There's two different events. The rapture of the church is when the trumpet sounds, and we go to meet Jesus in the air. The second coming is when Jesus brings the church back to this earth. So those are two different comings, two different happenings. So the next one is recorded in Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16. For the Lord himself would descend from heaven with a cry, 
of command with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. I get amazed at people that are scared of the rapture. That should be an encouraging word. That one of these days, Jesus is going to call us out of this mess. That we're going to leave here. I'm going to leave all my bills to the Antichrist. And you say, well, what if I'm still here? You can split them with him. I don't care. But one of these days, the next feast will take place. You realize how long it was between the first Day of Pentecost and the day of Pentecost, probably 1,500 years. But guess what? It still happened. Still happened. And since we have Pentecost, we don't just have a voice in our ear, we have a Spirit within us. Since since Jesus came into our hearts, we have the Holy Spirit within us. Some of you might have saw me jotting something down a while ago. As we we were singing that one song, it says, God, you have no rival. You have no equal. Now think about this. And I'm closing. If tongues is a love language between us and God, and I know somebody said, "Well, wait a minute, Pastor, I haven't received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I don't have that gift yet." I understand that. How many of you are you married? How many of you married? How many of you regret? No, no, don't do that. (laughs) How many of you are married? How many of you, when you were dating, you said, I'd sure love to be able to tell her I love her, but I don't know how. You'd still be single. (laughs) Unless she was smart enough to teach you how. You say, what are you saying? I'm saying that if we are in love with our Savior. We ought to be able to tell him how much we love him. Even if we have to be very, very simple. God, in you there's no rival. How many of you guys would think that pretty good if your wife said, Gator, there's no rival to you, buddy. (laughs) Woo! Wouldn't that excite you? said, won't you remember that next week, okay? <laughs> but think about it. God says, I'm going to make an agreement with you. Yes. You shall have no other gods before me. I want you to be my bride. I want to be your groom. 
And he said, I'll always be telling you and reminding you how much I love you. How many knows that Jesus tells us all the time, Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. He wants us to respond in a like manner. I'm going to ask our worship team to come up. And I want us to just tell Jesus how much we love him. Tell God how much we love him. And if you can do that in a heavenly language, that's fine. If you can't, just say, God, thank you. That even while I was yet sinner, you love me. You love me. And I know this is going to shock some of you wives, especially you newlyweds. You'll never be able to change that, rascal. But God can. God can. He can change us. On behalf of our pastor and staff here at OAG, we want to say thank you. Thank you for being a part of our ministry. We are grateful for you and the support you give our church and its ministries so that we can continue to do what God has called us to do, to be the family church for the family of God. For more content from Pastor Strickland and Oxford Assembly of God, check out our media website at oag.church/media.